Welcome to Short Course, episode 66, for November 12th, 2019. I'm your host, Ben Barry. This is the first episode I'm recording since Nationals, since low-cap Nationals this year, which for us in the poor divisions who didn't get to go to Utah, unfortunately, uh, was in Frostproof this year, which, I mean... The, the the good and the bad of Frostproof is it, it really is hard to beat logistically in terms of, of facilities to set up a match. I mean, it really is just a crazy number of bays. They have plenty of props, walls, targets, the, the, the whole deal. Uh, what it lacks is other things. But in terms of just having a sandbox in which to play, um, I, I mean, hey, they hosted the World Shoot in 2014. I mean, that's they can at least host a match of that magnitude if they need to. So so that certainly says something. But for context, this is this is the fourth match that I've shot at Frostproof. So I shot the Ipsic Nationals there in 2017 and 2018 and then the US USPSA Nationals in 2018 and then again this year in, in 2019. So um I've driven down three times. I've flown once. For for the 10, 11, 12-hour drive, I think driving is definitely the way to go. You can bring so much more. Uh, Steph and I ended up making a bit of a trip of it and and sort of took the long way home and, and took a couple days to, to make the drive back, which uh, was nice. It was nice to have a little bit of a, a little bit of a vacation after sort of training up for this. And uh, having we were already out of town, so we didn't have to you know, tack on an additional vacation. We just kind of extended the the one we had, which was nice. But I would say on the whole, I was especially, I hate that I have to say this, uh, and we'll probably come back to this some more later. I hate that I have to grade nationals on a curve. Um, In my opinion, nationals should be the best match of the year. It should be better stages, better props, better designs, better staff. It, sh- it should be, everything should be better. It should be the best match of the year. Now, admittedly, that's hard when you're doing four of them a year. But anyway, leave that aside for now. Grading on the curve of production nationals. You know, so recent history, you had the, the 2014 nationals in Utah, which is generally quite well regarded. That was the one I had the good fortune of working for, which again was... I think not an accident. That was the last year that they had a paid staff match with a travel allowance uh, where the staff got to shoot the match and then also work it. The fact that that was high quality, I don't think is an accident. Uh, Production in 2015 and 2016 was up in Passa Park, which was generally regarded as not great, very uninteresting stage designs and just generally kind of meh uh, matches. 2017, it was back in Utah, which I think was received pretty well. Um, I certainly enjoyed it. I thought it was a it was a pretty good match last year in Frostproof. Um, I actually didn't mind the the high number of classifiers. Um, not not because I'm necessarily a fan of classifiers, but I think nationals should have a component of testing the technical skills as well as the run and gun. But uh, I think you know last year the the stages were were not particularly interesting, and I, I definitely think the stages this year were a little more interesting. There was definitely more more wide open stages. I don't know that the that there were a ton of options. Most of them had sort of one way to shoot them. Uh, and honestly, in, in a lot of cases, I think that was just because the, the start position was not utilized as well as it could have been. Um, there were, I don't know off the top of my head, but there were, there were a fair number, maybe five or six at least that, that I can think of. Um, there, there were a substantial fraction, at least a quarter of the stages were start anywhere in the shooting area which on its face sounds like freestyle sounds like a really cool way to give competitors lots of options um but it mostly just means that all the competitors just end up standing and do a flat-footed standing draw and to to the first target and then shoot and there's an obvious kind of you're you're almost always going to start at the back probably the back left if you're right-handed um you know the lefties can start at the back right woohoo you know it's it's freestyle in that way but I, I think that by having a really well-chosen start position, you can actually create a lot of options in the stage because you, you you force the competitor to choose between do they want to go left first or right first or forward first or back first. By, by starting with this, you know, start anywhere in the shooting area thing, um, I, yeah, I, I, I think it's lame. I, I, I don't think it makes for good stages. 
and I think it's giving up a very low cost tool. You know, you can take a, a, a an otherwise kind of interesting stage, put a put a really well chosen start position on it, and just make it uh, that much better. Whereas the start anywhere in the shooting area, or in my opinion, this is even worse. I, I, there weren't any. I don't think there were any in the production match. So it was production in L10, and then uh, a day off, and then it was single stack and revolver. So in the single stack and revolver match, I I want to say I've seen a couple videos of instead of start anywhere in the shooting area, it's starting anywhere outside the shooting area, which given the literal interpretation of USPSA rules means, and I'm not making this up, starting with one foot outside the shooting area. So you do this goofy, like pick up one foot, move it six inches, put it back down, draw and shoot. Um, again, on paper, it seems like it would enhance freestyle, but I think A, it's just kind of lame and boring, and B, I think it can it's giving up an opportunity to make the stage more interesting by picking a really compelling start position that that can you know create an option where it wasn't there before. And I don't see the point of it. It, it just it just comes across as lazy to me, which again, for a nationals is um well, it's it's disappointing. But that said, grading on the curve, uh, I think, the stages at this year's nationals were were received pretty well. I think as a nationals, it was fairly well liked. I will say that the the general atmosphere of just feeling kind of like you're shooting a club match, I, I will say that was that was enhanced, if anything, from last year. It really didn't feel that special. And maybe you don't care about that. Maybe maybe that's not a big deal to you, but nationals just compared to you know even some of the the other like state level matches i shot it just it it felt like shooting a club match it felt like you know especially with competitors pasting and resetting it just you know it felt like you and your buddies were were just shooting shooting a match at the local club and in my opinion nationals should be more than that for a number of reasons which i think we'll get to later but yeah so it, it wasn't it wasn't bad in that sense um, there were a few things that, that I think were demonstrably bad that I'll, I'll get to later. But as a, the stages were were good. They were solid. They weren't amazing, but they were definitely better than the last couple of years. Having 21 stages, I think, is is good. I think it's better than some recent nationals. I think, you know, for deciding a national championship, I mean, in production, it came down to number one was 100% and number two was 99%. You know, the more stages you have, the more chances you give the competitors to separate themselves and and clearly we need more stages in order to get a a wider spread in the in the rankings so i think you know 21's not bad i think you know 20 24 was what they did in 2014 i think that worked out pretty well of course in 2014 it was 4 days of 6 stages the staff shot it as 3 days of 8 stages which i think for competitors probably wouldn't be terrible um but 3 days of 7 stages was certainly certainly quite reasonable and i think if you had better staff that could keep the stages moving especially if you had staff pacing and resetting and, and keeping the the shooter time down um i think you could easily do three stages of uh three days of eight stages each but hey again i'm just you know some rando on the internet what do i know i've never run a nationals and i guess the one last thing looking at my notes here that that i did make a note about the the stages was for the most part, I thought that they were they were pretty interesting in the way that there weren't a lot of arrays of targets. There weren't a lot of sort of run to this port and shoot six or eight rounds through the port, move on to the next port, shoot six or eight rounds through the next port. Uh, but, you know, there were a couple of positions where you would kind of come in and you'd have eight or ten rounds of mostly open targets at medium-ish distances. And because they were they were just far enough away and just at a uniform enough distance, there was really no incentive to kind of shoot them early or shoot them coming into position there were just there were so many targets that you really were incentivized just to reload the gun run post up and shoot a bunch of open targets at 10 or 15 yards which as shooting challenges go i think is is not the best i think you you know there are scenarios where you can have five targets especially in production you know if you if you have five targets from one position you take out one target or two targets then maybe you can take if you got three targets in the position you take one coming in one somewhat stable and one leaving the position you know you can kind of roll through it you've got six rounds out of your 10 committed so you can kind of 
shoot and call your shots more aggressively and shoot makeups as needed. Whereas, you know, when you're coming to a, to a single position and, and just shooting to eight or 10, uh, it seemed odd. You know, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a match with as many targets double stacked on a single stand where you just literally have one, you know, target stacked head to toe on, on one stand just to drive up the hit factor or I, yeah, I don't know. Like it just, you know, it, it drives up the hit factor. So it makes accuracy less interesting. It drives up the round count. And so you have sort of fewer options. You know, if you, if there's a position and there were a couple of these in the match where it's sort of, you have three targets in one spot, three targets in the next spot, three targets in the next spot, then maybe you, you try and, you know, take one of the targets from a different magazine so that you only have to do one reload instead of two. I definitely did some of that in, in this match. But if there's a position where it's eight or 10, you're, I mean, you're done. Like they, 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 there's nothing really you can do. You just got to go to that spot and, and shoot everything from there. Even if there's not a port, you're stuck. So anywho, uh, my, my personal performance at the match was, I would say, I don't know. It, it was numerically, it was actually pretty much on par with last year, which I will take as, um, I'll take that as a good thing given sort of the way my year has gone and and I'll I'll get into that a little bit more later but basically it was uh I I stated about the same percentage about the same numerical finish as as last year so I'm not falling behind but I'm not necessarily making any progress ahead now I will say my you know the first day or two uh, of the three-day match I was I was pretty consistent I wasn't shooting particularly fast um, I would say the the main things that I've really been working on this year, the the main skill that I've been practicing and and trying to apply in all manner of different drills is firing the second shot on the target as soon as the site returns. And so not not sort of confirming reconfirming that second shot, not not sort of waiting to see the sights, but just letting the gun return out of recoil, firing the second shot, and then just calling it and sending a, a third makeup shot if needed. And, you know, the reason for that is is just quite simply that if you actually put it on a timer and you fire the gun as soon as the sight returns at a reasonable distance, it's going to be a 20 or a 30 split. And if you wait and sort of confirm the sight picture before sending the, the sort of order to your trigger finger to send the next shot, it's going to be more like a 50 split. And so you end up with this, this very sort of deliberate but uh, slow cadence, you know, pop, 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 pop. And what I've that, you know, just looking at my shooting compared to some of the guys that are ahead of me, I'm, I'm realizing that I can, and this is what I've been working on in practice. I can fire that second shot as soon as the site returns. And if my fundamentals are correct, the gun will return to the A zone. It will return to where it left from. And all I have to do is just call the shot. Now, if I call the Charlie or the Delta, on the second one, then it's like, whoa, okay. So I either didn't have my grip established or whatever, and I need to send a third one. But at the end of the day, basically the way it works out is instead of shooting a a 25 split and then making it up with another 25 split, it it's the same speed if I have the gun recovered in 25 hundredths and then spend another 25 hundredths confirming the sight picture. I So I can shoot three shots if I just sort of... Re- shoot that second shot as soon as it comes out of recoil I can shoot a third shot if I need it in the same time it would have taken to confirm the sight picture and and you know send that second well-aimed shot but if I don't need the third shot then I can just move on and so you know if you look at that I mean you ballpark it say that's going to save me two to three tenths per target on a 10 target stage on a 20 round stage that's going to be two to three seconds so that's that's kind of one of the things that I've been working on this year uh, primarily in live fire. Now, this year has been a very unusual year for me, I would say, because just, I, I don't really know exactly why I have not been dry firing very much. Um, honestly, it's just, it's it's been, I, I, I hate to keep saying this, but it's just been a really, not necessarily time consuming, but just a really sort of draining year at work. There've been, you know, a lot of changes. I've been sort of taking on a lot more responsibility and trying to figure out paving a road where none exists and trying to figure out new processes and just dealing with all kinds of unexpected issues or issues for which we don't necessarily have a a strict plan. 
And so honestly, in the evenings, um, you know, after I get home from work, after I, you know, cooked dinner and, and everything and eaten, um, you know, they just, I haven't, I haven't been dry frying this year, which is weird because I also did more live fire this year than in any year past. And, and that was primarily just because due to changes in, in my work situation, I've actually been able to go productively practice after work uh, significantly more. So in years past, when I was not able to do that, practice was basically on on the weekends. I'd have four weekends a month. I would shoot one or two matches, and then the other weekends I would go practice. And that was okay, but obviously that has a natural limit of, of two or three sessions a month. Whereas with this, I was able to potentially do, you know, on in a good month, four or five, sometimes six practices if I went every week, one day after work, and then one or two days, you know, on a, on a weekend somewhere. And and so I, I feel like I have gotten, I've made a lot of progress this year on that sort of gun handling, returning the sights, that the sort of actually shooting at a good clip, the, the, the actual, you know, shooting part of, of, uh, of the sport. But the flip side is due to not doing the dry fire, everything else has kind of slipped. Uh, the, the draws have slipped, the reloads have slipped, just the general gun handling is, is not where I would, I would like it to be. But at the end of the day, you know, as, as someone where this is, is just my hobby, you know, nationals happens when it happens. And I, I sort of have to go with the set of skills that I have on the day of. And so I, I don't, I don't feel, you know, like it was this year has been a waste by any means. Uh, I don't feel like going to nationals was not productive. Um, I definitely, I, I definitely saw some stages where things really came together, and I was like, "Yeah, if I can just shoot like that all the time, then I'll, I'll be in a good spot." But I will definitely say that that things were were a little just slow. I, I wasn't, you know, the first day, uh, the first two days, I actually was in a pretty good groove. I definitely will say on the stages where the, the I was pushing the round counts a little tighter, where I was shooting to eight or ten, um, I wasn't doing what I was talking about earlier, where I just kind of shoot the second shot as soon as the sight returns and call the the hit, I was being a lot more deliberate, um, especially if I was shooting on the move, which to be fair, you know, especially entering and exit, exiting positions, there were a lot of opportunities to do that if you wanted to in this match, just because the, the targets were not, you know, through ports or hard leans in most scenarios. In most cases, you could get a foot or two sort of moving before you you lost view on on the target in in most positions uh, or coming in and what i found is and this is this is just sort of something that i need to take into my live fire next year is in those scenarios where i was either shooting coming in or shooting leaving or just kind of shooting rolling through a position what i talked about about returning uh, shooting the gun as soon as the sight returned just kind of went out the window and i went back into single aimed shots mode which to be clear is not the worst thing to happen um it is it, it's better to be moderately slow but accurate not have any extra standing reloads or anything like that it, it's it's not a terrible thing to happen but it wasn't exactly what i wanted to happen and in retrospect i i think i made somewhat of a mistake in watching and starting to try and get a head start on on editing my match video after the second day uh, basically, you know, there I was just trying to import all the clips, just trim out, you know, the actual shooting part, edit them together, get some of the crossfades going, just to just to save some of the editing time for for you know whenever later on because I just had time in the hotel room, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, seeing what I just talked about, where I would come in and be either coming in or out of a position or shooting on the move and and falling into this shooting individual aimed shots instead of shooting the second shot as soon as the gun returned calling the shot and moving on if if i had two acceptable hits and so coming into the third day i had this sort of conscious focus around doing that more and i think what where, where things kind of fell apart for me was the first stage on the third day where i i did exactly that i first the the first stage of the day on the first target it was a it was an open target and the next to it was a no shoot covering half the a zone and i came out of the holster and shot you know two good splits called them and was shooting the second shot as soon as the sights returned out of recoil was thinking about my grip transitioned over and then 
basically shot the same center VA spot on the second target. And so I ended up dropping, basically it was about a one inch group. The gun recoiled, the sights tracked fine, the sec- shot the second shot as soon as it came out of recoil. Uh, but I called, at the time, I called basically two hits right in the, the head of the of the, the no-shoot, right on the, the border of the, the no-shoot and the A-zone. As it was, um, I wasn't really, for whatever reason, I mean, on this stage, the plan was basically uh, you had to shoot 20 shots with only one reload. So, you know, plan was those two targets, three more targets, do a reload, and then shoot five more targets. So you, you basically only had one makeup shot, and that early in this stage, I just... I think I was kind of surprised. Like I called it as soon as it happened, but the gun was already moving on. And I thought, you know, if it's happened, then it, the damage is done. You can't take back a no shoot. You know, maybe if they were hardcover shots, I would have tried to make them up as it was. It ended up, one of them was on the perf and one of them was about an inch inside. Uh, so it ended up being alpha Mike to no shoot on that target, which, um, yeah, I mean that, 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 that pretty much, that pretty much sucked. Uh, and then the the next stage, so that was uh, stage six, I believe. And the next stage was seven, which was the standards, where I think I was, again, just trying to focus too much on um, good hits and ended up having uh, two mics on the, on the strong hand as well. Ironically, because on the first target, I called uh, a good hit and a bad hit. I moved on to the next target, shot two at it. And then shot one back at the first target, moved on to the third target, shot at it, and then still wasn't happy with the first target and went back to it. And the first target that I'd shot at four times had Alpha Charlie Delta on it. The second target had Alpha Mike, and the third target had Charlie Mike. And so I was so focused, you know, I kind of got laser focused in on the the bad shot calling on that first target that I wasn't calling the hits on the other ones. And, and so I was sort of shooting makeups on the one at the expense of the other. And so that was, um, yeah, racking up five penalties in the first two stages of day three was, you know, I, I want to say it kind of set a bad precedent, but also at the same time, I, I knew it's a long match. The damage is done. The only thing you can do is, is move on. And somewhat weirdly, for better or worse, the, the next stage after that was stage one, which was actually my best stage of the match. But there again, it was mostly because stage one was, it was actually a really unforgiving stage in production because you basically, it was, you, you had three mags where you had to shoot to 10 on all three. And so it, you know, you, you drew, you shot four flat footed and then a fifth as you left that position, did a reload, went to a spot where you just planted flat footed, shot five targets, ran over to, to the last spot and planted shot four and then did a little maybe half step you know if you did a wide setup you could you could lean a little bit and and shot a fifth target and my time was I think good and I shot pretty decent points I think I had five Charlies for the stage and so you know it's it's hard to know I mean I don't feel like I sort of went into a, a mental tailspin on that because you know going from sort of my two worst stages and then turning it around and shooting my best I, you know it was all just kind of a wash and then after that I just kind of went back into my into my mode of not trying to shoot any particular way, just just trusting sort of the, the skills that I'd built up, which is which is the way that I should have shot the whole match. Um, so to to sort of turn it around and, and talk about results finish. So this year, going in, the the numbers that I had in my head were twenty fifth in production and eighty two percent of the of the division winner. That's what I had shot last year, and so if I could do better than that. That was that was kind of where I wanted to be. Now, I will say, I think in my mind, I had thought like, mm, man, like I'm really shooting really well this year. Like I might actually be able to to make a move and, and really, you know, move up this year where, you know, in retrospect, it's like I, I did do a lot of live fire practice, but not not that much. <laughs> I, I did not nearly put in the, the the time to kind of really make a big step up without the so I ended up finishing. 27th so two places down but at 82 percent again so basically the same percentage finish in a deeper field with i think probably more competitors in in production more sort of heat in production than last year so i'm at least keeping up with the the sort of rising tide and you know in a deeper field so 
you know, it's definitely not a not a step back. I'm I am definitely content with that result. But for my own mathematical curiosity to sort of see what would have happened if I hadn't made those penalties. So on the match, I had um, those mics, and then I had uh, another mic elsewhere. And if and none of them were like I wasn't shooting recklessly fast. So you know, getting an A instead of the mic, they were you know it wouldn't have taken that much longer. So if, you know, if you just change the hits, which obviously is, you know, not a fair comparison, but just to give myself an idea of like best case where I would have ended up, it only would have been 85% and 20th. So it wasn't, and that definitely wasn't, I think as high as I let myself imagine that I could have done. But if I had actually come in at 85%, I would have seen that as a, a real victory. And in retrospect, I can sort of, see that by by trying to exceed that by by trying to place even higher than that I actually sort of pushed past what I could have done with the training that I did do this year and sort of fell back to a level that I mean you, the, the the story you could say is even when I had all these errors and all these mistakes I stayed at where I was last year and if I can just sort of clean up the mental game and not make the mental mistakes next year and, and keep the same sort of skill level, then I can I can probably expect to perform that much better. So it's sort of a, a hopeful story in that respect. But, you know, all told, I, I'm happy I went. I'm fairly happy with how I shot. I think the the mistakes that I made were pretty isolated and fairly, uh, fairly easy to diagnose. It, it just... I would say if I if I had to really put a cause behind it, it was that when I when I visualized just focusing on returning the gun and pulling the the trigger as soon as the sights are turned, I did that and I neglected to think about aiming point and indexing on the target and sort of where should the sight go. And so I just moved the gun to the particularly that that one target with the that ended up being two no shoots. I I just moved the gun over and I was thinking more about the gun handling and the gun tracking and all that stuff went great. It was a good split. Uh, the The group was nice and tight. Um, it was just in the wrong place, and so it, it's the the classic example of you will get what you visualize, and so be very careful what you spend too much time visualizing, and make sure to to have a complete, well grounded visualization. Don't just trust that all the other stuff will happen, uh, because especially if you're if you're really focusing on one element, you will get that element. If you try to go fast, you will get speed. If you try to be accurate, you will get accuracy. But you can't just assume that all the other stuff, oh, yeah, yeah, I train all that. I've been shooting for two days. Like, that stuff will just happen. No. If you if you really laser focus in and visualize one thing, you will get that and nothing else. And you'll, you know, have a nice one-inch group in a, in a, in a no-shoot. So pretty pretty easy thing to take away when i you know when i looked at the results and kind of played around with with practice score competitor i would say that the way it shook out was pretty much every penalty that i took dropped me back one finish place and so i had five mics and two no shoots for the match if you just wipe those out then i basically go from 27th to, to 20th and so yeah i mean the, the the inference there you know if you want a rule of thumb at a at a nationals is you can you know one penalty each one of those will knock you back at least a place and so that's definitely something i'll i'll take away one other performance sort of takeaway for me is that i do think that i let myself off a little easy uh, with things like draws and reloads not really emphasizing the importance of those in, in dry fire as much uh, basically in what little dry fire i did do this year i was really focusing on transitions so snapping to the center of the target not over transitioning into the Charlie or Delta and having to come back, which is a bad habit of mine that I'm working on. Uh, so I, I was working on sort of precise transitions and, and really gripping the gun and, and making sure that it would return straight back. Those were my main focuses. I, I didn't really just put a lot of, of effort into the, the fundamentals of draws and reloads, uh, mostly because a lot of times it, at matches, it just doesn't matter that much. You have a, you have a, a long movement to soak up the draw or a long movement to, to soak up the reload. And I will say this was definitely an interesting match because there were a couple of stages, uh, two at least, that, that come to mind, where I I chose a plan that there, there, there was another simpler plan where you met, you basically went to more positions and shot six or eight in each of those. And I, I sort of split it up differently. So I was shooting to 10, but it would save me a reload. And 
I think a lot of that was just, first of all, I, I think I had a lot of confidence in, in my accuracy, but am I sort of shooting because I'd done so much live fire this year. And I, I just, I kind of knew that gun handling was weak. Reloads were weak. And so I thought if I can skip a reload, that's going to be from the second or third pouch, it's, you know, might kind of go sideways and just, just kind of snipe and, and stand back, then I'll probably come out ahead. And, you know, in retrospect, I, I don't think that was, um, I don't think that was the right call. I think, especially if I really had confidence in being able to do a really snappy reload out of my second or third pouch and just run to the spot, stick the load and just whack the targets. You know, I mean, is it that much of a difference shooting at 12 yards versus seven yards? Kind of. I mean, it's almost it's almost twice the distance. So I definitely think I I took a, a very let's call it low energy kind of approach. I, I was trying to sort of hang back, move less, do fewer reloads and, and be efficient. I, I had that sort of mindset and attitude to, to my stage planning. And I was on a squad with a couple of very young, agile, fast shooters, um, among them Bryson Blaine Dupuy and Garen Singleton, who, I mean, the dude is 20. He just shot his first nationals and he took sixth. So yeah, um, being being on a squad with that is uh it's definitely humbling. I mean it was honestly it was cool to get him to watch him do his thing and, and that's where a lot of this this mindset came from is is I, I was sort of watching him shoot and and expend a lot of energy and it, it felt like it was inefficient. And then I would just look at the times and you know, my efficiency was two or three seconds behind him. And, you know, when you're when you're really aggressive and confident with your your gun handling and your movement like that, then there's it just doesn't take as long to to do these things. And, and so that was definitely a, a big takeaway for me. So it, you know, it was, uh, it was definitely a privilege to, to get to shoot with those guys and, and just get a, get to see a different style of shooting. Um, I, you know, I mean, around here, I'm the young guy. And so to get to shoot with somebody 10 years younger than me, 15 younger, young years younger than me, um, you know, it's definitely eye opening. It, it, it helps me get out of my rut because around here, I, I tend to be one of the, you know, uh, faster runners and, and, you know, quicker movers just because around here, there just aren't that many folks my age. And so to, to get to go to nationals and see that from other shooters and sort of, you know, derive some inspiration and and some training motivation from it. I I think it's really cool. So I, I definitely appreciate getting to, getting to shoot with those guys and getting to, to see them do their thing. I, I will definitely say, I think immediately after the match, I was, um, I was a little bit frustrated, a little bit disappointed. I think in my mind, I had already come in, you know, I'd already, I I hadn't, I couldn't, I had nowhere to go but up from last year. And so to just kind of have, honestly, it wasn't the finish that really bummed me out, like finishing at the same spot as last year. I was, I was kind of okay with, it was just really the, the boneheaded feeling of just making, you know, driving all the way to nationals to make such a colossal mistake and, and plug a no shoot twice, you know, that, that kind of really bothered me, but you know, had a couple days to, to get over it and just kind of process it. And, um, I, I gotta say, you know, I, I have clear stuff to work on for next year. I'm, I'm excited. And so I'm, I'm really, I'm not going to start dry firing just yet. There surprisingly, you know, given the, the position in the year, most people are, are ready to take a break, but given, given that I haven't actually done that much dry fire and it's now, I think as I record this, it just hit below freezing here in North Carolina, which is, a little early. It doesn't usually get quite this cold mid-November, um, but you know it is what it is. So it's actually live fires pretty much off the table for the winter, and and so the idea of actually getting back and doing kind of making up the making up for lost time in dry fire. Um, I actually am kind of looking forward to that. I I really do enjoy good dry fire. It's it's sort of meditative and enjoyable and, and satisfying. You know when you really feel like things are lining up and you're making progress. Um, it, it can, it really is satisfying and, and I do kind of miss that, but it's just been such a, such a strange year for me with, with work and everything that, that I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back to it. And so we'll, we'll see when, when that gets started back up again, but, but the, you know, the, the fire is back and, and I'm, you know, ready to, to, to hit it again for, for next year. There are a couple things that I do want to talk about sort of before I, I can really put any discussion of this match to bed. And I, the, the two things really are just the, the issue of having competitors paste and reset at the match and just the, the general quality of the, the staff at the match. 
So, I mean, the, the first one is just in general, going back to what I was saying earlier about feeling like a club, a club match, going to this nationals does not, it doesn't seem that important. It doesn't seem like an achievement. There's, you know, when, when I tell people, oh yeah, I'm out of going out of town for nationals. They're like, oh man, you're going to nationals. Congratulations. And you know, sometimes I'll tell them, well, I mean, there are enough slots. Anybody, you know, you can just buy your way in. Like it, it's not an achievement to get to go. It's, you know, people assume that this is something that you work up to and, and you have to qualify for. And when you, you know, it really seems like the the leadership of USPSA, the way that, that nationals has been structured, particularly last year with the, the nine days of nationals, making it so that, you know, in theory, somebody could shoot three different nationals if they wanted to, and then doubling down on that this year and having four separate nationals. It really seems like the incentive and, and it really seems like they are driving towards participation and just trying to get the biggest numbers, the most number of people, the most number of paid shooters in and not necessarily really trying to ensure any kind of quality or, or necessarily bring everybody together. Nationals isn't isn't about sort of being some crowning achievement, something you have to earn your way into. It's just about, hey, if you know we can get as many people in here as we can, then then it looks better for us and you know, we we make more money on the matches. I, I mean, this is a separate topic, but to my mind, nationals if nationals loses money every year, that's fine. It it shouldn't be about making money it should be about fairly adjudicating who is the best competitor and being the most thorough skills test and if that costs more money than it brings in no big deal the the organization has other forms of revenue it it it, you know if we have one big really thorough nationals a year and it loses a little bit of money i you know that that doesn't bother me in the least but to, to bring it back around to the to, to competitors pacing and resetting, there's there's the issue of, you know, it just felt like shooting a club match. There's the practical issue that if you don't have dedicated pacing pacing and resetting, then it's never clear, oh, did somebody forget a target? So you'll you'll have that situation where there's an, an unset target or an unpainted target. I mean, we had you know, we had one incident on our squad where somebody was already loaded and made ready and getting ready to shoot and somebody pointed out that the steel wasn't painted. And so, you know, we had to wait 45 seconds for somebody to jog down range, grab a can of paint, spray the poppers and, and come back up range. Is that a big deal? Probably not. But you add that up over the course of the match. I mean, that, that was just one of a number of, of incidents. Um, there was another reshoot that we had to get because a competitor uh, shot a target and there were <laughs> there were two and a half bullet holes in the target. There were two holes and then one that was on the line between the hardcover and and the open tart and the the you know scoring zone and someone had paint had pasted the hardcover part of the hole but not the exposed cardboard part of the target and so i guess they couldn't determine accurately which shots belonged to the the competitor I, i'm not even sure that that's the right interpretation of the rules to be completely honest if the ro can actually adjudicate it correctly i don't know i i, I didn't see the target but either way the the root cause of the of the reshoot was the fact that the target was not correctly pasted there was there was actually an incident that happened to me where there was a a steel target that i thought i got an edge hit on and then i went to shoot the next target and i shot that target and then the the one before it i felt like it was just falling slowly and when i shot the one after it the the one before it fell as well the ro actually tried to tell me that i it was a range equipment malfunction and i i was i had to reshoot it because the target before had fallen when I hit the one after it. And so that was clearly an issue. And I looked at the, I looked at the steel and there was a tiny, maybe fingernail size Nick on the edge of the, the, the first steel, the one that I, in retrospect, did not hit and somehow had gotten knocked over by the, the fragment from the, the target after it. it, you know, watching the video, you can, you can pretty clearly see it, but I looked at that target when I was shooting it, I felt like I got an edge hit and it just fell slowly. And so, you know, I saw that nick of unpainted bare steel on the, on the target. And I pointed to the, to the, I pointed it out to the RO and I said, you can't tell me I didn't shoot this. There's a visible mark on the, on the face of the target. And so the RO called over the CRO, the CRO looked at it and said, yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's some mark on this steel. So, 
it, you know, we can't say, you can't say that he didn't shoot it. And so they ended up letting the, the score stand. And, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to get an unfair call. I just, I remember sort of in my peripheral vision, I saw it and I thought I saw it falling slowly. Um, and then in retrospect, ironically, this was, um, this was the stage with the, the medium height port where you, you actually had a, a big steel plate behind the, behind the, the steel targets. And so you would actually get that sort of steel thud if you missed the, the steel targets and it, it hit the plate behind it. And when I was done shooting, there were three, you can actually see on the video, there were three spots on the, the, the steel plate where a, a bullet had hit it. And I'd have to go double check the video either. I, I shot either two or three of them, uh, but they couldn't necessarily rely on, you know, if you had looked at those, you know, if this had been a, a, a properly painted and reset stage, I think an RO could have actually looked at, assuming that the target was painted correctly by dedicated staff pasting and resetting, if the target was painted correctly all the way around the edges, and you could guarantee that that steel had been painted between shooters, which given that they didn't have dedicated staff, they couldn't guarantee it. And if they tried to say, you know, if they tried to make a ruling based on that, I would say, you don't know that that was painted. Um, there was enough evidence that, that they could actually, after the fact, have said, like, no, this target fell improperly. But because the because the target wasn't properly reset, they they sort of had to go with it because the target wasn't painted, the steel behind it wasn't painted, and so they they couldn't trust that evidence because they didn't they didn't know that the stage was being reset by by actual staff since it, it was being reset by competitors. And then the sort of the other incident was there was a another stage where it was the, the stage with the double swingers and I ended up getting a a delta on one of the swingers that I didn't shoot. I ended up shooting at one of them three times and one of them two times. And the one that I shot at three times had three hits in it. And the one that I shot at two times, I didn't remember how many times I'd shot at it. I, I remembered shooting some makeups, but I didn't remember which shots I shot on where. And so I just trusted that the holes in the target I had shot. It was only when I went back and watched my video later that I realized that there were three holes in that target and I'd only shot at it twice. And the RO, you know, it, it, I shot alpha delta or I shot alpha alpha Mike, but there was a delta right on the perf that had not been pasted from some previous shooter. And so the RO ended up giving me that. And I went through and did the, the practice score. What if, and that would have dropped me down two places. It would have put me in 29th instead of 27th. And honestly, that's like, that was what I shot. That was the score I should have gotten. But because the the targets were not being properly pasted and reset by competitors, I, I got a delta that I didn't earn. You know, I mean, stuff happens. I'm not asking, you know, anybody to go back and, and revise the scores. I, you know, I don't I don't know that, you know, 28th versus 27th is is that big of a deal for, you know, whoever I, you know, unfairly got a, got an advantage over. But this is freaking nationals. I, I just I don't I don't find this kind of stuff acceptable. And, and, you know, other stories just from our own squad, there was a, you know, ROs, just some of the, the basic stuff you learn getting some experiences as an RO, things like, you know, don't, don't tell the competitor anything, don't say anything that could be interpreted as make ready. And we had that we had an RO tell one of our shooters on our squad, he sort of waved his hand to the start position and said, move forward. And the guy with his double plugs or whatever heard make ready and he pulled out his gun and the RO told him to stop. And it's like, what, like, what the heck? Like, why are you giving me? things that sound like range commands that aren't range commands. I mean, that was one of the first things that was, that was taught to me as a, as an RO on, on the range in 2014 was unless it's a range command, don't say it to the competitors. This is nationals. You don't want any gray area. And I, I got that right from Carl Schmidt, the RMI, who was the CRO on my stage. And, you know, he was, he was full on mentor mode and he was like, Hey, like this is, this is the right way to handle this. And so, you know, I, I know that now. But I don't think that the people who were working this match have that level of, of sort of mentorship or experience, which I think is a shame. You know, in my mind, in my mind, honestly, not only should nationals be should going to shoot nationals be something that is in itself something to be proud of having earned your spot to the national championship. That should be a point of pride. And honestly, I, I think it should be a point of pride to be invited to be staff at nationals. It shouldn't be something that we're having to beat the bushes for and, and get, you know, whoever can hold a timer and, and stand upright for seven days on the range. I think we need 
it should be something where people should be excited to go work at nationals. And, you know, I mean, there are tons of different ways to, to make that happen. You know, whether it's using some of this RO work record stuff or just having the incentives be better so that, you know, people can come, the, the staff can come and shoot the match and then work it. And so you actually get competitors who want to shoot. it. I mean, I've, I, to my mind, if there were a system where it was, you had to earn a slot to nationals. And if you didn't earn your slot to nationals and you still wanted to go shoot the way that you got to go shoot nationals was to work it. So, you know, if you're B class and this is your first year in the sport or your second year in the sport, you've taken your RO class, you didn't win your section match. So you didn't earn a slot to nationals, but you still want to go shoot it. So you sign up to work it. I mean, that's what I did in 2014. That was, that was why I worked it. I actually, in retrospect, I could have probably, because there were open spots on the, the squads, like I could have just signed up and shot it. But when the opportunity came across to have the, the travel stipend and, and have the, the, the hotel covered and to get to go work and to learn under, you know, what I assumed was, and in my case actually was, you know, some of the, the, the best people in the game, you know, the, the most professional, organized, experienced ROs, th- that should be a privilege. And if if you don't get a chance to to go to the match as a competitor because you didn't earn it and you have to work your way in, I'm cool with that too. But to me, this um this system where it's like take all comers, both on the competitor and the RO side for what should be the the crowning jewel event of our sport every year, I, there's no reason for it. I, I think we we can do better. We know how to do better. We have historical historical examples of of how to do better, and the, the only reason for not doing it is just whoever is in charge, whoever's making these decisions is, is just choosing a, a different set of incentives. They're, they're choosing to make nationals as big as possible instead of as good as possible. And, and that's not the set of trade-offs that, that I think is best for the sport. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a question I, I still haven't decided. It's, it is very tempting. So production is in a, a bit of a, a bind because one of the most exciting matches of next year for me is the the Pan American Extreme Open, which is basically from from all reports, it's the Extreme Euro Open guys are doing a extreme style match at St. George, Utah, which I mean, first of all, it's St. George, so it doesn't take much to, to get me to go to that range just because that you know, the area around it is so nice. So, you know, you spend a couple of days, you go to Zion, it you know, the the vacation makes itself more or less. It's a pretty gun friendly state. The facilities are pretty nice. The the staff around there, the the actual regulars at that range are 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 pretty solid. Uh but as it stands, that that panic that Pan American match goes right up until the the day before production nationals starts well it's uh, so next year it's it's not low cap anymore next year it's going to be production and carry optics it's a factory gun nationals even though two years ago factory gun was single stack in production but anyway the uh so it, it looks like i'm basically going to have to choose one or the other of those two matches and i mean it's a it's a genuinely tough choice the way the matches look like they're structured next year, it's going to be sort of more of the same where there's lots of different nationals scattered all around the calendar. So it doesn't look like this situation is going to change. It looks like next year will probably be a very similar nationals to this year. The The staff will, unless unless something in the incentive structure changes, the staff will probably be pretty similar, you know, pretty similar crop of people. And the stages will probably be pretty similarly kind of meh. And so, you know, I've done nationals for three years in a row is is going back to frostproof and shooting a fifth match you know three years in a row at the same range probably going to be the same staff probably going to be similar style stages is is just the cachet of nationals enough to outweigh potentially what is going to actually be a much more interesting much more challenging probably much better run pan-american extreme match i mean you know it's, it's hard to say because i mean nationals definitely has the the cachet of kind of bringing everybody together but after kind of doing this for the last couple of years, it doesn't excite me the way that, that the, the Pan-American match does. I mean, the fact that potentially the most interesting, most competitive match in the, in the country next year is either going to be probably one of the area matches or like this Pan-American match. or you know, I mean, it's, it's not going to be nationals. That just, it doesn't seem right to me. So 
you know, I, I still haven't really decided what, you know, what the plan is for next year. I hope that things change. I hope that nationals becomes more of a, a crown jewel event. It becomes something that people are, you know, it, it is actually an achievement to get to compete in it. It's something that people feel like earning their way in is actually, you know, an achievement. Um, and that, you know, it's, it's something that is actually, that represents the best of our sport. Whereas right now, I don't really see that it does. All that aside, I mean, none of that really impacted my personal performance. I, I definitely think it was where I finished was a, was a result of my skill. I mean, except for, you know, the calls and getting hits that I didn't actually shoot. But aside from that, I don't think the, the ROs necessarily negatively impact my shooting. But I think as a prestige, so, you know, so I don't, I don't want this to come across as like a personal gripe. I just look at the sport in the context of kind of the larger national landscape and, and just what it could be. And, and the fact that it, there are state matches, there are area matches, there are, I don't know what the right word is, you know, sort of non-regional level three type matches, you know, the, the Magnus cup type stuff that, that, you know, these, these matches being put together on a sort of national level by people who aren't associated with headquarters that are better quality. And that just seems like a shame to me. Well, that wraps up this episode of Short Course. If you want to get in touch, my email is podcast at barryshooting.com. By the time you hear this, my match video of all 21 stages will be posted at youtube.com slash benberryuspsa. Talk to you next time.